Well, on Christmas Day, 20 years ago, to be exact, President of Romania, Nicolae Ceausescu, was killed before firing squad from his own army. Some of you may not remember that historic event was televised around the world. I can still recall that, those images today. But what I remember even more was the legacy which this president of Romania left behind. You see, in the aftermath of his execution, reporters came in, the communist country opened up. We came to realize that the country of Romania was a country with neglected orphans. Some who ended up as cold-blooded murderers of President Nikolai Ceausescu's secret security. Some who never saw the light of day. Others, and most of them, were abandoned orphans who resided in state-run orphanages. As shocking, as despicable as their conditions were, children often tied to their own cribs, underfed, cold, even smeared with their own feces. As despicable as those images were to those of us who saw them from around the world, something else stood out even more than that. I remember seeing the face of the small children, even the babies, and they were silent faces. They were tearless faces much as I had seen in the orphanages in communist Russia back in the beginning of the 90s. You see, abandoned, neglected, fatherless orphans don't cry. They don't cry for long. Why? Because there's no one to hear them. There's no one to hear them. Orphans left to themselves don't cry. Children with family do cry. Thank you. The cry of the heart has an object, my friends. The cry of the heart has a person to whom it looks for comfort, for provision, for mercy, and for love. And there's a cry in each one of our hearts as Christians. It's a cry of those who've been adopted into God's family. It's the cry of sonship. And it's a gift from God. Do you know that cry this morning? Have you heard that cry? I'm not speaking about a mystical voice this morning. I'm not necessarily even talking about tears. No, I'm talking about a cry of the heart. A cry of the heart with a deep-seated awareness and a reminder that you belong to God. I realize that there may be some of you here this morning that you've never actually heard this cry, this cry of sonship. And my prayer for you this morning, friend, is that you would hear this cry for the first time as you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. For others, maybe you've heard that cry of sonship. But you know what? It was a long time ago. It's now a distant echo. It's a faint memory. But for most of us, I suspect, we just need to have our ears tuned once again to that cry. Perhaps when you came in this morning, your heart felt cold. You know, you know conceptually that God, your Father, you can even tell me the gospel and what the God the Father did in sending His Son. 
But there's not that subjective experience this morning of that objective reality of what God has done in bringing us into his family. Oh, my prayer for you this morning is that you would experience the personal abiding love of God the Father for you this Christmas season, even right now, that you would hear the cry. Let's pray. Oh, Father, oh, Abba, Father, would you help us this morning? We come to you with two ears, but we're in need of hearing this morning. Would you pierce our ears to hear? Would you unblock whatever whatever obstruction there may be that we would hear your voice, that we would hear your word spoken through your word this morning to us? And would you impart faith to know that we are not orphans in Christ, that we are yours and that we belong to yours? And may we cry out this morning, Abba, Father, as your children, Oh, Lord, we pray. Give us, alert us to that gift of sonship, we ask. Amen. Let us read from our text this morning, Galatians chapter 4. I'll just read verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, in our text this morning, this passage I just read forms the center of the epistle of Paul's letter to the Galatians. In verses 4 to 7 are the center, verse 6, the cry of Abba Father must be its climatic expression. What is this cry we're talking about this morning? It's the cry of the Holy Spirit within us. It's the cry of the Spirit of Jesus the spirit of the Son given to us, by which Jesus himself cried when he was here on earth, Abba, Father. Jesus probably regularly used this term. He probably regularly addressed his Father in these terms, Abba. This word is similar to the word Papa. It's endearing. It communicates affection. It communicates intimacy. It was used by Jewish children but also of adults. It was used by Jesus himself. The word Abba is actually an Aramaic Aramaic term, preserved for us in the Greek, and thus preserved for us in our English translations. It has not been translated. To quote one author, we know the word Abba because it burned itself on the disciples' minds. They were so stunned, no one had ever spoken to God so intimately before, that when they told the Greek Christians about Jesus, they carried over the Aramaic Abba into the Greek translations of the Bible. This so shocked Paul that he used Abba in both Romans and in Galatians. Abba, Father. Does such intimate terminology 
That's affectionate words. Describe your relationship with God. Is that how you relate to God the Father? You see, Abba Father, just as a title, Abba Father is a plea. Abba Father is a call. It's a summons. It's an expression of trust. Do you remember when Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane looking to the cross? What did he pray? What were his first words? Abba, Father. What were the first words of Christ as he hung there on the cross? Father, forgive them. What were the last words of Christ that he uttered before his death on the cross? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Is that your first word? Is that your last word? When you are suffering, Abba, Father. When you're feeling anxious about the present or about the future, Abba, Father. When you're tempted to doubt, to give in, or just to give up, is it Abba, Father? When you receive praise and you're about to give thanks, are the first words, Abba, Father. Is that the cry of your heart? You see, it's Jesus' Spirit, the Son of the Spirit, which cries out in us. But that cry, Abba, Father, becomes our cry. We read of that in a parallel passage to Galatians, found in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 15, that second half, and verse 16 of Romans 8, 15. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we, that we are children of God. We've been given the Holy Spirit who testifies, who witnesses to our spirit, to our conscience, that we are indeed children of God, by which we cry, Abba, Father. To quote G.I. Packer, this dual witness, speaking of the Spirit to our spirit, to our conscience, is a gift of faith, whereby believers gain feeling knowledge that their faith and adoption and the infinite sovereign love of God to them are all really real. Uh, is it real to you? Your adoption? Your status as a child of God? And if so, is that functioning in your life today? Are you relating to God as Abba Father? As I mentioned, I believe God today wants to tune our hearts to hear that cry, to hear the very spirit in our hearts cry, Abba Father. But to do that, we must first turn to verses 4 through 6 to ask the question, how do we turn our hearts to hear? How do we turn our ears to hear? So we're going to do a little theology this morning, but we're going somewhere, my friends. We're going. We're making progress. We're going to start in verse 4, and we're going to end in verse 7, and it will be glorious. But we must start where Paul starts here in verse 4. Because it's evident to Paul in our text, the Galatians he was writing to, well, they needed to have their ears tuned as well. They were believers or professed believers. But you know what? They weren't hearing this cry. Oh, they were hearing cries. They were hearing the cries of false teachers. They were hearing the cries of legalism, which beckoned them to trust in the law. Or in the case of the Gentile Christians, Galatians, to trust in their own elementary understanding of God based on their own pagan background and religion. But either way, 
They were abandoning the gospel of grace. They were relating to God as slave to slave master. They were not relating to God as son to father. They were living as if they were still living in the dark, soulless Romanian orphanages under the rule of President Nicolae Ceausescu. So Paul reminds them of their adoption as sons. He does so first by reminding them, rehearsing God's sovereign grace in adopting them as his own in redeeming them from the spiritual slavery in putting them to where all that grace was to lead to their adoption as children of God. Friends, we need to tune our ears to that same truth today and do it again. How do we tune our ears? A, by rehearsing God's sovereign grace in adopting us. Verse 4, Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. In other words, Paul, thus the Holy Spirit, in these two verses, wants us to hear two truths very clearly, very succinctly, very crisply. crisply. Like a bugle sounding, like the sirens blaring. He wants us to know that God sent his son to redeem us. And God redeemed us to adopt us. In other words, God sent his son to adopt us, to bring us into his family. Here is the glorious news of the gospel of the Christmas season for all seasons. It's this. The cry of the manger of baby Jesus makes possible our cry as sons and as daughters of Christ. The purpose of God's incarnation in sending his son was for our adoption. Let me explain further. Notice that Paul uses this word adoption. In our sinful and rebellious state, we weren't born as children of God. No, the Bible says we were sinful. We were alienated from God. We were estranged from the family of God. Yet God, in the fullness of time, sent his natural son to redeem us and to adopt us. You see, in his sovereign grace, God chose the time and the place when he was going to enter into the earth, the world's orphanage. That time was 2,000 years ago. And that place was in the outskirts of Jerusalem in a town called Bethlehem. But you see, in order to adopt us as orphans, according to his will and choosing, something had to happen. Something had to happen. The text said, he'd be born of woman. That is, he had to take on human flesh. John Calvin puts it this way. For God's natural son fashioned from himself a body from our body, flesh from our flesh, bones from our bones, that he might be one of us, adopted. Did you catch that? Adopted. Christ was adopted in the flesh, in this born under the law. Why is that so important? Because Christ's adoption was for our adoption. Church, he was adopted, born as a woman. Born as a woman, born under woman, excuse me. <laughs> born of a woman, under the law. Why? To redeem us. 
to redeem us. It's that word redeem implies that we were in slavery to sin. We were, no, we were not before our adoption sons, but rather slaves. And he came to redeem us from our sins and false gods. Yet being in, born of a woman and thus under the law, Christ perfectly fulfilled the law. He did what we could not do. But more than that, being born under the law, he bore the curse of the law, the wrath of God, which we incurred for our failure to fulfill the law. He did in our behalf. Christ died for our sins. He purchased us by his blood that he could set us free and that we would be his own children. Why did he do it? So we no longer be slaves, but sons and daughters of the living God. He did it to secure our adoption. So our adoptive father has come to earth. He's fulfilled all legal requirements, his own. And he signed the paperwork in his blood. And we are his. Do you hear the cry of sonship this morning? When you hear the cry of the baby in the manger, and when you hear the cry of the son upon the cross, it is finished. Do you hear the cry of sonship in your own heart? If you're not a Christian this morning, God is calling you out of the orphanage, out of the squalor of the Romanian orphanages. He's come to make you his own. Oh, friends, acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge you're not worthy to be called his child. And receive your adoption, which has been secured for you by Jesus Christ, life and death on the cross. Trust and believe in Him and enter into the family. If you are a Christian this morning, please don't neglect your sonship as a child of God. You are not an orphan. God has not left you alone. Please don't stop at verse 5a where we read, God sent His Son, what? To redeem those under the law. Oh, as marvelous as that it is, that's not the end of the story, church. Read on so that we might receive adoptions as sons. If you stop here at the first half of verse 5, you possess a truncated gospel. It's like going through the drive-thru and forgetting to pick up your meal. Oh, the meal's been ordered. The meal's been paid for. But you're not eating. There's no happy meal. That's what it's like if we don't get Galatians 4, verse 5b. We must not stop at 5A. That's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons we as a family of churches, Sovereign Grace Ministries, came out with a newest CD we've been singing from even today. A newest CD called Sons and Daughters. It's a reason for C.J. Mahaney's recent blogs on adoption, which I'm drawing from this morning. We want as a church our, to be our biblical emphasis. Yes, to be on the incarnation and the crucifixion of Christ. But may that never eclipse, eclipse our adoption as sons and as daughters. Why? Because the good news of the gospel is not simply that God has freed us from the power and the penalty of sin. Praise God, He has done that. And that is more than any of us deserve. But God could have stopped there, couldn't He have? And that would have been good. But the full orb good news that those who were once slaves have been brought into his family. We've been made children of the living God. God has invited us into his home this Christmas season. If you're a Christian this morning, 
you are family. See, listen, I like my mailman. I wave at him. Sometimes I even remember his name. We've had a few different ones the last couple of years. You see, I appreciate the mailman, especially this time of year, all the letters that he delivers, all the packages for Christmas. But at the end of the day, he's just the mailman. He's a faithful government employee who works for us, the taxpayers, who works for me, who works for you. Our mailman didn't share Christmas with us this year. It may not shock you, he wasn't there. I project it'll be the same next year as well. Our mailman won't be sitting around the tree opening presents with us. Our mailman will not be sharing Christmas dinner with us. Why? He's just a government employee. That's the extent of my relationship to him. It's nothing personal, but that's just the point. It's not personal. He's not family. I don't think my mailman is offended by me telling you this. I don't think he was offended by me not inviting him to Christmas dinner. It's the way it is. He's the mailman. But is that how you view yourself before God, Christian? A mailman or male lady? Oh, yeah. God uses you. You deliver his mail. You do his bidding. But you never actually enter the home. You never actually share a meal. You may come here on Sunday to worship God corporately. You may even get here early to set up. You may stay late to tear down. You may be there every Wednesday night. You may be leading the hunger by Wednesday night. But is God just an employee? Is he just a boss? You know, you could have a contractual agreement. He died for you, now you live for him. You got the agreement going, you're doing the thing. You're doing it weekly. But you haven't entered the home. Are you experiencing fellowship with God as your father, as a child to a son, child to a father? If your relationship with God is just one as an employee, as an employee to a boss, oh, God has so much more for you this morning. He has so much more for you, Christian. One of the songs we sang this morning, which I love, we sang here many times at Palm Vista, is Jesus, thank you. I want to hear the words again. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. But catch this last part. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Yes, Jesus, thank you. The first two lines of response lead and build to this last line of response. Once your enemy, once slaves, once in bondage to sin, now a child of God seated at his table. The table of fellowship. It's where family gathers to eat. We see it in the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. You see, in biblical times, to sit at a table and to share a meal confirmed or conferred social status, that you belonged. Servants in biblical times did not eat with their masters. No, it was family. It was those, the same social status, who ate together. You're now children of God if you're in Christ. And God is inviting you to the dinner table. He's inviting you to the feast. He's inviting you to partake of that lechon or that stuffed turkey. For us, it was steak this Christmas, green bean casserole, mashed potatoes, fresh dinner rolls, pumpkin pie. He's inviting you, yeah, to that table. 
to enjoy. Not as a slave, as a servant. No, but as family. As a child of God. Are you hearing the cries of sonship any louder now? I hope you are. Do you know this type of familial, fatherly love? Do you know it? Love this quote from Jay Packer. To be right with God the judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is a greater thing. To be his child. Do you know that love this morning? God did not come to earth simply to clean you up and to disinfect the orphanage. God did not come to earth to change your diapers, to pretty you up, that you would pass inspection, that you would be presentable. God didn't come to earth simply to sober you up to post your bail, to free you from prison so you can once again walk the streets as an autonomous being. No. In His sovereign grace, He came to adopt you, to bring you in to His family, to claim you as His own. Why? So He could seat you at His table, so that He could show you the wonders of His grace, our inheritance as sons and daughters. So how do we tune our ears to hear this cry? Yes, by rehearsing, as we just did, God's sovereign grace in adopting us. But B, by remembering our inheritance as sons. We can't forget verse 7 of our text this morning. To read from Galatians 4, 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You catch that? But if a son, if a son, then an heir through God. In passing from slavery to sonship, we have become heirs. In other words, God's purpose in redeeming us was to adopt us. And his reasons for adopting us was to make us his heirs. That he might bring us into his family. That he might share, that we might share in all that he has. That we may share. You see, in the Roman world, which Paul wrote, a father's inheritance was passed on to his sons. That's why men and women are said to have received the adoptions as sons. Okay? Yes, this relates to you as male or a female. But it was the sons who received the inheritance. Thus, we can read in this text, we all, male, female alike, are to receive the spirit of sonship. You see, the father did not have a child. He would look to a suitable, mature heir. He would adopt a son, a mature son, for the expressed purpose of passing on his family's wealth. A person was adopted in Roman times in order to pass on the family wealth and the inheritance. And that is what God, God has done for us. Only one big difference. God the Father already had, you could say, a suitable heir. In fact, he had a perfect heir, his natural son, Jesus. Secondly, we're not suitable heirs, I'm sorry to tell you. But yet God, in his unfathomable grace, chose us to adopt us. Why? Yes, to bring us into his family, but to give us his inheritance. To pass on the family wealth 
all that he had to us. So what's his inheritance? It begins with the Spirit, the Spirit of the Son. We get a further clue in Romans, where Paul writes, again in Romans 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, and catch this, fellow heirs with Christ. In other words, whatever Christ the Son gets will be shared with us as God's adopted sons and heirs. Whatever our elder brother, Jesus Christ, receives will be shared with us, including his glory. To quote J.I. Packer again, when we think of Jesus exalted in glory, we should always remind ourselves that everything he has will someday be shared with us. For it is our inheritance, no less than his. Does that amaze you? Does that embolden you? Does that impart faith this morning? We can now approach God the Father with assurance, with confidence, and with boldness. Does that give you boldness when you pray? You're not praying as a slave, merely a servant. You're praying to God as a son. You're not praying to God as a beggar. You're praying to him as your child. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Father, who in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We come to the Father asking, not as a beggar, but as a child asking in his presence. That prayer is recorded in Matthew 6. But if you read following on in that chapter on the Sermon on the Mount, God the Father still knew we'd be anxious. Even though he is our Father, we'd be prone to be anxious about the future, about provision. I just want to read briefly, not to turn there. His words, recorded in Matthew 6, after this wonderful prayer. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor but about the, your body, what you will put on. It goes on, chapter 6, verse 31. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. In tight financial times, when jobs are being lost, yes, homes are still being foreclosed on, as we look to 2010, we can come to God as our Father, as a child, and He asks us to come, to come boldly, and to come asking, knowing that He is our Father. Are you asking? Repeatedly throughout Scripture, just ask and you will receive. Oh yes, our motives may be tainted, but God through his answer to our prayers, he'll purify your motives. But he says, child, come asking. Come asking for your daily bread. Come asking. If I've not clothed the lilies of the field and the grass of the field, will I not clothe you? Will I not provide for you? For you are my children. In fact, the whole Sermon on the Mount is how we are to relate to God as Father. Is that how you are relating to him today? As a child, to a father. Do you have that assurance this morning? Do you have that assurance? Are you hearing that cry in your heart? You see, trust and faith comes from hearing. Hearing that cry, tuning our ears, rehearsing God's sovereign grace 
Yes, in adopting us. And when we do so, God's Spirit testifies in our hearts that we are His and that we belong to Him. And we hear it clearly. And we hear it loudly. And we believe. You see, hearing is believing. And that is our assurance for us today as children. I mean, have you ever struggled? If you're human, you probably have. Struggle with the fact of whether God really loves you. Do you feel like you're in God's favor one day and out of it the next? Oh, hear the cry of adoption, of sonship. Do you hear the abiding permanence? Do you know that love? See, the very concept of adoption is our guarantee of the perseverance of saints, that we will not lose our salvation, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, that we are His Nothing can sever that relationship. Do you have that abiding faith and confidence this morning? In ancient Roman law, adoption was a public act. Whenever an adoption took place, there were at least two public witnesses. Why? In case that adoption, and thus the inheritance, was to be contested later on. They could bring forth those two witnesses. They could say, I was there. This son was adopted. We have those witnesses. It's the Spirit, the Spirit of the Son in us that testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. Why do we need witnesses? Because we doubt. Because the enemy will contest our adoption. We've all experienced it in one way or the other, haven't we? Oh, the enemy death protests in a variety of ways. Here are some. Maybe you've heard these lies before. See how others treat you? You're not really part of the family. You're different than everyone else. You're different than these Christians. Help this one. See how God treats you? Do you really think he considers you his son or his daughter? Maybe a slave, unwanted or unappreciated servant would be a more apt description. How about this one? See how you treat God? You hypocrite. You call yourself a Christian? You're not good enough to be a part of his family. Who are you kidding? Stop pretending. Or maybe it's none of these. You may say, Corey, you know what? I, I think I, I believe that I'm a child of God. I know God loves me. He's my father. But you know what? I'm not very convinced he likes me let alone wants to be around me. If this is you this morning, you are believing lies from the pit of hell if you are a Christian in Christ. If you are believing these lies, hear, hear the cry of sonship. Hear the words of the prodigal son and of the prodigal's father. If there was ever a reason to doubt one's acceptance, in one sonship, it was the prodigal son. I'm just going to read to you a part of that story. Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 18. The prodigal son has squandered his inheritance, all that he had, living in filth and misery and shame. And then he says this in verse 18. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. 
I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put on a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Christians may act the prodigal, but God will not cease to act the prodigal's father. He will not cease. No matter, friends, what your earthly father is or was like, no matter how imperfect your earthly father was or is, no matter how distant or absent he was in your life, meet your father in this verse. Meet your father in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. This is your father. Meet him. It's been a while. Meet him again. This is your true father, the one who comes, who runs to embrace you, the one who has killed the fattened calf, the one who clothes you with the robe of righteousness, the one who puts the ring of sonship on your hand, and the one who celebrates over you. That is our father. Your perfect father wants to assure you of his perfect love for you. He wants to assure you of your place in his family, of your inheritance this morning. When you're weak, when you're prone to doubt, it's by this adopting grace and love that we are to be reminded, that we are to measure the Father's love for us. In closing, how are we to measure the Father's love? It puts it succinctly in 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Do you see? Do you hear? How are you measuring the Father's love this morning? By the events of this past week? By the events of this past month? Are you measuring His love by the events of this past year? Do you say to the Father, what have you done for me lately? No. The question is, Father, what have you done for me eternally? And that question has already been answered. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. God has sent forth His Son to redeem you. And He redeemed you to adopt you. And He adopted you to show forth his inheritance, that you would be assured that you belong to the family of God. So when you hear that cry, that proverbial cry in the manger, may it lead you to the cry of the Son on the cross. But don't stop there. Take it to its full conclusion, the full orb gospel. And may you hear the cry 
of sonship. And may you cry, Abba, Father. Let's pray.